What's up, guys? My name is Charlie Ungamak. I am the host and curator of the Gird Up Podcast, which is what you're listening to right now. Now, normally, our podcasts come out on Monday and Thursday mornings, real early in the morning, and they're interviews that I do with men of God that I look up to and respect and I think you ought to hear from, and I encourage you to listen to those podcasts, but this is not one of those. This is a special edition of Saturday Morning Coffee, which is a 15-minute or so devotional that I put together that encourages us to continue to grow spiritually and grow in our faith lives. So if you're listening to this right now, I encourage you to sit back, relax, go sit out on the front porch or something with a hot cup of coffee, listen to the birds sing, and let's talk about the law. Hello and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to gird up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Ungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Welcome back, gentlemen. Happy Saturday. Glad you chose to join us. If you're not listening on a Saturday, get with the program. Just kidding. You can listen to this anytime you want to. Today, though, we're going to talk about the law. And I want to start our discussion on the law by thinking about when we were kids and and the way that our parents raised us when we were kids. Now, most of us had very involved parents who took good care of us. They kept us safe. They kept us healthy. And one of the ways they kept us safe and kept us healthy was giving us rules to obey. And some of these rules were about right and wrong. You know, don't hit your brother. Don't kick your sister. Don't steal from the candy store, all that kind of stuff. But a lot of those rules that they put in place in our lives as little ones, especially real little peepers, uh, were put there so that we would be protected from harm that was coming our way. So, for example, they gave us a rule that you don't run into the middle of the street. You have to look both ways before you cross the street. And the reason I did that is because they didn't want us flat as a pancake. They didn't want to scrape us up with a shovel and have to ship us off to the funeral home because we got run over by a car. Um, another one, don't touch the hot stove. Well, why don't we want to touch the hot stove? Because you're going to burn your hand. Nobody wants to burn their hand on a hot stove, especially a little guy. And we don't understand those rules right away. We don't understand why we're not supposed to go outside the yard by ourselves. We don't understand why we're not supposed to cross the train tracks. We don't understand why we can't play in the street. When we're little ones, we don't get the fact that there's danger out there. We don't get the fact that any moment our life could be snuffed out just like that. But our parents do understand that. And in It's part fear and part protection that they give us guidelines, they give us rules to live by so that we don't end up losing our lives early. And the law is exactly that. That's that's how I like to think of the law. In fact, when the law was originally given by God to Moses and the Israelites in the Old Testament in the desert, there were a whole lot of laws like the ones I was just talking about. Um, For example, if there was a leper, somebody had some kind of growth on their body or some kind of disease, they were given very strict rules on how to deal with that person. And a lot of the times it was casting them out of the camp. Like they, they would walk behind the camp. They weren't allowed to be a part of the Israelite community until they were healed. And 
it seems harsh, but they didn't have modern medicine and hospitals like we do. They had very, very limited resources as far as how to help these people out. And if they let these diseased people or these people with growths or rashes or boils, if they let them remain a part of the Israelite community, then that disease, that sickness, that illness was going to spread. And so God had the Israelites cast them outside. And they weren't they didn't have to completely leave and act like they weren't Israelites anymore. They were still a part of God's community, but they were not allowed to associate with other Israelites because they wanted to keep the Israelite nation healthy. And it really isn't a spiritual thing at all. It's just a health thing that keeps the Israelites from being ravaged by disease and illness. Uh, there's some other ones too. God gave very strict rules on how to treat widows and how to deal with widows in situations of death because he knew that sinful nature was going to be there sitting there and people were going to either want to claim the money or they were just going to desert the poor widow whose husband just died. He also knew that sinful nature tends to pick at us a little bit and he encouraged widows to get remarried so that they wouldn't live lives of idleness and end up being a burden on society. And all these laws and all these regulations and all these rules were put there for a very specific purpose, which was to keep the Israelites safe and happy and healthy and in good relationship with each other. But that does not mean that those rules and laws were always pleasant or fun or easy to adhere to. I, you think about if you had a sick relative, he's got three boils on his back and they won't go away. Do we really need to cast him out of society altogether? Like, yeah, it's gross, but do we really need to cast him out? God says yes, because he needs to maintain the integrity of the Israelite nation. I guarantee that wasn't a fun thing to do when you had to say goodbye to a loved one. And there were also times where a man ended up having to marry somebody who he didn't necessarily want to because it was his responsibility to take her into his home and to care for her just like she was his own wife. And it's a normal and natural thing for us not to like rules and laws. Our sinful nature rails and rages against laws and against rules and against regulations because, frankly, they take away our freedom. It makes us feel like we are being oppressed and in a very real way, when we decide to follow laws or to adhere to a set of rules, we give away some of our freedoms. As the American people, we adhere to a certain set of rules, and because of that, we lose some of our freedoms. Now, we are a very free nation, but a certain amount of my paycheck isn't mine. It doesn't belong to me. It has to go to the government to pay for the protection that I so willingly uh, receive. How about speeding tickets? Nobody likes getting a speeding ticket, and a lot of times we complain about speeding tickets or being, about being stopped by a police officer, but I would far rather be stopped by a police officer than have everybody driving as fast as they wanted to all the time and not having to adhere to any laws. I would much rather live in a safe society where every once in a while I get burned than live in a place that was dangerous to me and my family and to the students in my classroom. And whether we realize it or not, we give some of those freedoms and some of those rights away so that we can be protected. That's really the foundation of the gun control argument right now. And I'm not going to turn this into a Second Amendment rights argument here, but we've got two camps here. We've got a camp of people that thinks that if we limit guns and we don't let anybody have firearms, then we'll be a safer 
And so we need to give up that right in order to be safer as a society. And then there's another group of people that says we are safer when we arm ourselves and they will not give that right up because they think that they're safer that way. And I'm, like I said, I'm not going to comment on it. I'm not going to make a case. But that's where the argument is, is whether or not we should give up these rights in order to achieve an end. And if you really think about it, this might sound like an anarchist statement, but it's true. If everybody just decided not to listen to the law, then the law wouldn't matter anymore. Think about the speed limits, right? Everybody drives five miles an hour over the speed limit. And since everybody in our society has decided it's okay to drive five miles an hour over the speed limit, the police won't even pull you over. It's okay to drive five miles an hour over the speed limit. If the police wanted to enforce it, they would face huge backlash if they made us drive exactly 45 miles an hour or exactly 70 miles an hour. Anyway, we have to make a conscious decision to live by the law. And when we live by the law, it acts as a curb on our path toward righteousness. When we walk in the way of eternal life, we have a tendency to stray into things that will entangle us or to trip us up, or to draw us further away from the truth and the gospel and that path of righteousness that we should be walking on. And if we stray far enough away consistently enough, it will eventually just beat the faith and holiness right out of us. There will no longer be a spark of faith in my heart because I have given it away so many times. I've let myself walk into temptation so many times. And some examples of that from Scripture, if you think about it, are when Paul says we shouldn't even have a hint of sexual immorality among us. Now, there are a lot of people who will say you can have some, a little bit of sexual immorality. Like we can look at a little bit of pornography. It's not going to hurt you. Or we can watch a show with a little bit of sex in it. It's not going to hurt you that much. Or we can deal with that. Or we didn't go all the way. We just messed around a little bit. But Paul says no. You start there, and it's going to lead down a path that's going to lead you all the way away from Christ. He says, don't even allow a hint of sexual immorality into your life, and that's going to keep you on a straight and narrow path that leads to salvation. Or how about when Paul says, do not get drunk on wine? He says, don't get drunk. He doesn't say, don't get too drunk. He doesn't say, it's okay to be tipsy. He doesn't say, don't get drunk too often. He says, do not get drunk. Once you start to abuse alcohol, it will grip you and it will suck you in and it will start to control your life. So Paul says, don't get drunk. Yeah, it's something we can participate in if we choose to. In fact, that's encouraged several places in the Bible because it is good for our health in moderation. And for some people, it even helps keep the chemical balances in their body right. That's why doctors will sometimes tell you to drink red wine. But when you cross that line and you get drunk, all of a sudden you take yourself out of control of the situation, you take yourself out of the driver's seat, and you let a substance take control. You let the devil take control. Scripture is also really clear about cutting off the immoral brother from a congregation or from a Christian enterprise. He says, don't let them stick around because they're going to influence you. If you're going to walk a path of purity, if you're going to walk in an upright life, you need to cast away all people who are sinning and refuse to conform to the way of the truth and the way of life. If you let them stick around you and hang around you, they're going to influence you and they're going to drag you down that path with them. I can go on and on all day, but the last example I give you is, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't be angry. Don't let yourself get angry. 
Don't let yourself lose control because once you start getting angry, again, you take yourself out of the driver's seat and let sin take the wheel. Let your sinful nature take the wheel. And it's going to lead you down some awful paths and it's going to drag you away from the path of righteousness. So to get right down to the point of what I'm talking about this morning, you got to make sure that you have an appropriate relationship with the law. We should actually be celebrating the law and celebrating the fact that we live by the law. It's a good thing. It's something we can be proud of. It's something that we can latch onto and say, I am living a life of faith. I know my faith is real because I can see it in the way I live it out. The people around me know my faith is real because they can see me living it out. In James chapter 2, it says, faith without works is dead. How do we know our works are good works? Because we judge them against the law. You and I know that we will never be able to earn salvation on our own. And that's why we cling to that faith, that life-giving faith that the Spirit has planted in our hearts. But that life-giving faith is dead if we don't live out the truth of Scripture, the truth of righteousness, the truth of the way in our lives. So make sure that you are living a life of service to your Heavenly Father and acting on the law, fulfilling the law, doing your very, very best. I know you're going to fail. That's the way human nature is. But doing your very best to live the way God tells you to live so that your salvation may be secure and to prove that your faith is alive. Prove it to yourself, prove it to your Heavenly Father, and prove it to the people around you. People will see it. People will know that there is something special about you, that you are different. If we are going to disciple people from all nations, we need to be disciples ourselves. People following the teachings of Jesus and living out lives of thankfulness and gratitude that point directly back to our Savior.